everybody, how are we all doing? I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Fall Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, continuing to move in, unpacking things in my new apartment, and... Uh, you know, in the course of the unpacking, I was actually forced to remember an interesting bit of trivia that, hmm. Mike, I suspect you remember, but viewer or listeners at home uh, might be interested in. So, listeners who uh, listen to the, our Xbox series probably remember discussing the Xbox 360's Red Ring of Death, mm-hmm. uh, a critical hardware failure that would cause the console to become inoperable and have to be replaced. Mike, do you remember that that makes the Xbox 360 the second Microsoft game console to suffer a catastrophic component failure that forced a massive recall? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that does right. Yeah. 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 Do you remember when the original Xbox's uh, power cable just started exploding and leaving scorch marks on people's carpets? Yes, I do. (laughs) Forcing them to recall over 14 million of the units? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were replaced, by the way, by an ingenious little uh, power cord with a tiny circuit breaker built into it. <laughs> and I'm uh, guessing you have one of those? We sure do. Yep. I even distinctly remember it tripping a few times. <laughs> because for those not familiar, the original Xbox had just a massive power draw, which mm-hmm. it was pulling through a completely ungrounded power cable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You could tell that Microsoft uh, back in the day and for a good chunk of their history just was kind of bad at product design. Turns out. Turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it should also be specified. It wasn't the Xboxes themselves that were recalled. Mm-hmm. At least according yes. to this news article. It was the power cords. Yes. So you you would send in your power cord and then yes. it would send you back a new one. Yeah. Your Xbox was fine. It was the power cable that would catch fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just that small little one. Yeah. So I, I suspect that one cost them much less money. They mm-hmm. probably got away with that for under $10 million, but still. But still, yeah. Oh, God, good old original Xbox. What yeah. A, what a weird machine. Very weird. So weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to it's fun to go through like when you're moving, like look at like your like video game box or like whatever you have just to mm-hmm. see like all the... All the weird stuff that you still have, mm-hmm. and just be like, "Why do I have this?" Yeah, I, I've been trying to get rid of many of those. Why do I have this items? Mm-hmm. But it's hard. There's a lot of sentimental value around them. There is, but sometimes it gets like dumb. Like yes, like when I moved, I found out I still have a bunch of like broken jewel cases for old PlayStation games. Yeah, yeah. Like I I just had like half a jewel case for Mega Man X Four. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Well, I know why, because the art's cool. <laughs> yes, fair. So I, I pulled apart the jewel case so I could just keep the art. Mm-hmm. And I went, I could just throw I could throw this piece of plastic away now. Yeah. It's like, why didn't I do this before? <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of like weird stuff like this. Uh, I also discovered that I still have my, um, the weird uh, uh, swag pendant that you can give if you had uh, Lunar 2 Eternal Blue. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they just, for some reason, they gave out, like, that, like, a really, really nice booklet and, like, a few other things. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, like, the first game where you got to, like, a blow up doll that you could, like, punch. <laughs> it 
it was like the main bad guy, Galleon. You could just mm-hmm. like use him as a punching bag. Instead, it just gave you a pendant for this one. It's like, ah, oh, that's yeah, not yeah, definite downgrade. Definite downgrade. But yeah, yeah, it's fun to discover like all that stuff that you still have. Well, Alex, I'm excited about today's episode mm. because we're going to be diving into the plots of Saints Row. And as I warned last episode, there's a good chance that uh, this was not going to be three parts, but rather four. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, yeah, it's going to be four parts. Okay. We're going to be doing Saints Row 1 and 2 today. And then we're going to follow up with Saints Row 3 and 4. And in our last episode, Agents of Mayhem and Saints Row <laughs> 2022. <laughs> so that's going to be the plan for today. Now, before we get started, though, uh, there's actually been some late breaking news. Ooh. Uh, that's only kind of tangentially related to Saints Row, but I think mm-hmm. it, given that we talked about them last episode, mm-hmm. it'd probably be good to follow up on the fact that I said, yeah, we're probably going to be learning about more about Embracer just kind of imploding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, uh, yeah, that's uh, continuing this week. As uh, basically there is a report that Embracer has laid off an additional 900 people. Hmm. Uh, 904 staff, uh, specifically, or 5% of its workforce. Uh, it basically got announced after Embracer's Q2 financial report, where the CEO of Embracer got basically on camera and said, before we go into the business details of our second quarter, I want to start this conference by saying a personal thank you to the 900 people who left Embracer during the second quarter. And by left, I <laughs> meant fired. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not great. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's uh, 511 developers and 202 non-developers mm. uh, in their internal he- headcount, and their external headcount is apparently 191. Uh, apparently, they also c- canceled 15 unannounced projects across uh, companies such as Amplifier, Free Mode, Gearbox, Alien, Saber, and THQ Nordic. Oh, great. It's not like they needed products to boost their financials or anything. Oh, absolutely not. Products? Why do you need that? I mean, heck, why would you need studios, given that they are also looking to reportedly sell Gearbox now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. Yeah. Wanna... Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You know, the one company that actually put out a game that was relatively successful for you recently. Yeah, just sell off Borderlands while you're hurting for money. Why not? It's not like that's still a franchise that sells games or anything. Yeah, no, it doesn't have a fervent fan base around it. No, honestly, they probably will if going at this rate. But yeah. yeah, apparently they're having trouble selling Gearbox at the moment because uh, whatever they're looking for, people do not want to pay. Likely mm-hmm. because Embracer is uh, rapidly running out of money, and people know that uh, they could probably get it for cheaper. Yeah, probably. Just wait for the corpse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, needless to say, it's, uh, it ain't looking good for them? No. No, it is not. Mm-hmm. Although, apparently, their most recent games, Remnant 2 and Dead Island 2, apparently did sell well, so. Yeah, I heard generally positive things about those. Mm-hmm. As did I. As did I. I also forget that they're about to release a new South Park game called Snow Day. I had 100% forgot about that game. Yeah. Um, I don't, is it like another Stick of Destiny type game? or? Oh, Alex. Oh, no, buddy. No. Okay. It is a team-based like 
kind of like a team-based third-person shooter in a way, <sighs> like a hero game. Uh-huh. Yep. Great. Yeah, we're not sick of those at all. No. Plenty of room for more. And you know what art style translates to 3D very well? South Park. Park. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, just look at... God. Look at that South Park game for the Nintendo 64. Let's not, please. God, what a what a nightmare video game. But yeah, I figured I'd give that update about Embracer. And now, let's move on to the plots of Saints Row. I do have to say, I had, I was thinking about later, and you're right, Embracer is like an incredibly ominous name that makes me think that someone was mad that the name Umbrella was already taken. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> They would be the people who would they would absolutely themselves call umbrella. themselves umbrella. Yes, yeah, they absolutely would. <laughs> oh man, missed opportunity there, really Capcom. Was. Yep. So yeah, Saints Row released in two thousand six. Uh, if I remember correctly, Alex, you have not played this Saints. I Row. have not played the first one. No. Yeah. So neither have I. Totally a interesting game, and hmm. by that I mean it's very. It shoots straight in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of things about, as we mentioned uh, last episode, Saints Row has a pretty pretty stark escalation. It mm-hmm. starts being very normal Grand Theft Auto-like, and then it just goes absolutely nuts by the third game. Right. Like, and I kind of always knew that, but I didn't realize how how grounded the first Saints Row is in terms of what its story is. Mm-hmm. The jokes in the game, there's, like, barely any jokes in the cutscenes. Hmm. Like, all the jokes are actually left to, like, NPC dialogue. Okay. And, like, side activities you could do. Like, once again, being able to spray poop on people. Right. Uh, and stuff like that. Like, that's not to say there aren't jokes mm-hmm. in the cutscenes, but there's just, like, it's notable. It's more notable when the jokes actually happen. Right. Well, it it also, again, reminds me a lot of Grand Theft Auto, where mm-hmm. a lot of it, from a you know storytelling standpoint and from a cutscene standpoint, is, yeah, very straight. And mm-hmm. then the humor kind of arises from the wacky things you can do while running yeah. around. Yeah, or like the radios in-game or something mm-hmm. else, right? And what humor that's in the cutscenes is likely going to be just be like very dry humor, if right. nothing else. Yeah, that's that's exactly what Saints Row is. Like... It is, I totally see why people are like, no, this is just a Grand Theft Auto clone, because this is just a Grand Theft Auto clone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the impression I always got about the first one specifically is, yeah, that's pretty much like trying to beat GTA 4 to the punch. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into Saints Row. So, Saints Row takes place in the city of Stillwater. It is a Midwestern city that's roughly, let's say, Cleveland slash Chicago-like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got your big downtowns, but, like, you know, that has skyscrapers and whatnot, but you also have your, your suburbs all around that are surrounding it, that are somewhere run down. Some are like, you know, like you have your red light district, that sort of thing. There's a river that runs through the city that's also somehow an island. <laughs> you know, because that's just, that's just how things were done back in the day. Yep. Every open world was an island. It doesn't matter what. Well, people were tired of invisible walls, so you had to give them some other end-of-world mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, 
rendering things out into the distance takes processing power. And it this does, was a yes. game developed for the Xbox 360 when they had no idea how powerful mm-hmm. the Xbox 360 <laughs> is going to be. Which is another thing. The first Saints Row is not a pretty game to look no, at either. No. Like, it's kind of amazing that Saints Row 3 came out on the Xbox 360, mm-hmm. given how starkly different these games look. Yeah. So. Boy, that is another series that kind of went through the majority of its, like, popularity and goodness in one console generation, huh? Yep, pretty much. Oh, boy. The 360's got, like, a lot of those, actually. It, it does. And to be fair, at least partially it's because the 360 was just on the market as right, a viable yeah. console for so long. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, that's that's totally true. It's a lot of, a lot of series started and then later died. Mm-hmm. Mass effects, for instance. Oh, yep. 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 Oh, at least that one was mostly planned. So, Saints Row starts with your character, a 99% silent protagonist, and I really mean 99% uh, character only known as the Playa, spelled <laughs> P-L-A-Y-A. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, he is he is basically a customizable character who is seen walking down the streets of the Saints Row district as stuff like a guy tries to sell your character on watches, a hooker tries to sell you her services, and two rival gangs with very similar colors have a disagreement over graffiti and get into a big old fight when a third gang shows up and does a drive-by. It ends with basically everyone dead in a comedic fashion, where like literally it's like one dude shoots the driver of a car who runs over another guy who then shoots another guy who then gets shot in the head by another guy <laughs> until like literally everybody but like one dude is dead. Anyways, this guy who isn't dead walks up to you and goes, wrong time, wrong place, only to get shot by a fourth gang. (laughs) This fourth gang wears all purple, and immediately their leader asks you, you okay, playa? In the most Keith David voices ever Keith David. This man is Julius. He is, once again, voiced by Keith David in a and basically the beginning of a joke that is going to pay off <laughs> wonderfully in Saints Row 4. It really will. It really will. So this man, Julius, and his gang is the third Street Saints. They're basically known for their fleur-de-lis that is colored purple. They wear nothing but bright purple and black. And they basically have their headquarters in an old rundown church. They're very on the nose with who they are. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Julius immediately decides to recruit you to his gang, even though everything is on fire and the cops are coming. Like, literally, he's like, hey, you should join our gang, while he's, like, (laughs) surrounded by 50 dead bodies and the cops are bearing down on him. (laughs) And basically, one of his lieutenants, a guy named Troy, is like, we need to, this is not the time, we need to leave, man. (laughs) So he goes, all right, then, well, play a, go to the old church if you want to join up. So... Of course you're going to go do that. Mm-hmm. Just in time to see Julius give a big speech about taking back the streets for the saints. You're then immediately introduced to the gang via a ritual called canonizing, which is just basically a bunch of people kick the shit out of you until they like you. So that happens, and then Julius goes, man, you're pretty tough. Welcome to the Third Street Saints. <laughs> so let's introduce all the members of the Third Street Saints right here. So you got Julius Little, the leader of the saints, once again voiced by Keith David. Uh, Julius is an African-American man who basically wears, like, basically a black coat with, like, with, like, a purple sweater and a purple uh, beret, who is, was a former member of the Vice Kings, one of the the different gangs in a a game. Uh, He basically 
joined that gang alongside his best friend, Benjamin King. They ended up having a falling out after the Vice King took control of Northern Stillwater. It basically went crazy with power, like getting into prostitution rings, killing anybody in their way and whatnot. Basically, Julius thought that gangs should be used for good <laughs> in order to help keep people in the streets safe. And Benjamin King was like, what if we instead we used that to earn a lot of money and power? And so basically, Julius dropped his colors. He was like, you know what? I'm not going to be a gang member anymore. And, but after the rise of other gangs, such as the West Side Rollas and the Los Carnales, uh, he does, like, they basically turned like the Saints Row into like a battleground. He decided to recruit his neighbors into a new gang to fight back, wanting the Saints to become a force for good, unlike the Vice Kings. <laughs> it's, it's really silly. I love it. One thing that must be said about this series is that it was always kind of a superhero story, even it before you got superpowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally was. And also a series that's always been at least goofy in its premise to yes. an extent. And only tangentially has any idea what gangs are. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, this is this is such a silly backstory for the Third Street Saints mm -hmm. that like, you just can't help but love it. <laughs> so, he's assisted by his three lieutenants. Dex, the voice of reason in, in the group, known for being more tactical for his plans compared to the other Saints. Um, Troy Bradshaw, a straight-talking man who is very clearly an undercover cop. <laughs> Mostly due to his habits of constantly asking questions about the crimes all his, you know, you know, brothers and other gang members are doing. Mm -hmm. And also from the fact that, like, everyone else at least tries to speak, like, you know, like, street lingo a little bit, mm -hmm. and he absolutely does not. <laughs> the man wears a polo. It's hilarious. <laughs> and finally, there's Johnny Gat, voiced by Daniel Day Kim. Of yeah. Hawaii Five-0 fame. Alex, how do you feel about Johnny Gat? I feel about Johnny Gat the way that Saints Row wants me to feel about Johnny Gat, which is that he's the best. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, we'll get into it a little bit more, but, mm -hmm. like, I didn't spend all that much time with Johnny Gat, so I don't really have strong feelings myself. I think that's fair. Johnny Gat is going to become the breakout character of this series. Yes. Because his entire thing is that he is basically the loose cannon of the group. Mm -hmm. Whose solution to every problem is to curse loudly and shoot everyone in their way. Right. So Johnny is an Asian American man with basically spiked up hair that's black with um, basically a, a blonde trim to it. Like bleached, bleached hair. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, his big thing is basically just to run around, be sarcastic, and shoot everyone with guns while being very angry. Right. But unlike many characters where this becomes exceedingly annoying, he's <laughs> actually good at it. He is. Like, I actually like him in Saints Row 2 and the brief times in Saints <laughs> Row 3. Right. He is going to come around later because, once again, he's going to become the breakout character. It's going to mm -hmm. show up in, like dive kick and weird other, other weird games <laughs> like that uh, he is gonna get to be a little too much uh, yeah yeah like most of saints row y yeah like most of saints row but he is uh he, the fact that he's like gonna just be 
I think it's partially because, like, he, in this game, he's very angry. Later, mm-hmm. he becomes, like, more just, like, laid back about his wanted need for murder. Right. In a way that does become a little endearing in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game, oddly enough, he's just more just angry and wanting to take the direct route. Like, he's... Right. You see the germination of what Johnny Gat's gonna be, mm-hmm. but otherwise, it's just... He's just another one of the lieutenants. Right. He's still very much, like, angry shoot-first archetype guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I have here described that he is the glue of the Saints, keeps them real and together, keeps them real and together as a as a group. And once again, it's the one character in the franchise that's going to show up everywhere. So, under Julius's orders, you clear out the row, and with that, Julius directs the Saints to go after all the other gangs in the city. Dex is assigned to the Los Canales, which uh, he gets constantly upset if anybody calls him the Los Canales, because Los is just the in Spanish. Oh, right. Yeah. And one of the few jokes that actually appears in cutscenes that is uh-huh. actually funny. Yeah. Johnny Gat goes after the Vice Kings after Troy refuses to do so himself. Because he's like, Troy, go after the Vice Kings. And Troy's like, nah. <laughs> and Joyce is like, what the, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> and as for the Rollas... Julius has a woman on the inside named Lynn. Lynn is an Asian-American woman whose personality is take no shit from no one. She is also somewhat stereotypically Asian, like literally mm. like chopsticks in her hair to hold up a hair bun level of stereotypical. Right. So at, at least at least she does not have a stereotypical accent. I'm going to okay. give the game credit for that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Julius then just tells you, the player, to work with everyone as you do so very silently. So it's it's really funny because you basically just like show up and like people just like talk at you and you go mm-hmm. on missions with them. And then when you're in the car with them, they'll have very one sided conversations with you mm-hmm. that usually ends with, man, you're a real good listener. <laughs> or like, man, you make a good point, playa. There's going to be, I think, four times in the game where you actually say something. Hmm. And it's almost always going to be an actual joke, and everyone will just like turn to you and like be absolutely shocked. <laughs> like, wait, you actually said something? So he's like, you're basically the conduit for like the few jokes that actually happen in this game, oddly uh-huh. enough. So you work with everyone to take down the three gangs. So for the Vice Kings, Gat has you team up with Aisha, an R&B artist who is signed with Kingdom Come Records, owned by Benjamin King, and Aisha is also basically Johnny Gat's on again, off again girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Their thing is that they get into incredibly explosive arguments, and then they have sex right afterwards. Mm. That is their relationship in this game. Uh, it's actually more nuanced in a way that I like in Saints Row 2. Mm-hmm. So your big thing with her in this, though, is that you fake her death to screw over his business, and also you set use her car to set off a car bomb at their headquarters, basically destroying the entire building and setting the Vice Kings back like a few million dollars. So... This is going to be a problem for him, because it turns out the cops are being paid off by the Vice Kings. And so, like, in order to, like, put some pressure on the Saints, they basically direct the cops to arrest a bunch of the Saints and also get Johnny captured by the Vice Kings themselves. So, you have to free Johnny, you frame the Vice Kings for a bunch of crimes, turn the cops against them, and basically put a ton of pressure on them. Eventually, one of Benjamin King's lieutenants, Tanya who's actually played by Mila Kunis. Mm. This is something I actually should point out. There is a lot of celebrity voices There's in a lot, all of yeah. Saints Row. Mm-hmm. Like, multiple, I'd say at least mid-tier celebrities, at least of, like, TV fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and multiple porn actresses as well, actually, <laughs> right. starting yep. with Saints Row 2 going on uh, in a way that, I don't know, find interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so 
Mila, so Tanya, played by Mila Kunis, uh, decides to, like, betray him and take over the Vice Kings herself. Like, first her, like, sort of boyfriend does, and then she screws him over. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, like, King has kind of have his back against his wall, so he decides to put out a call to his old friend, Julius, to help him out. So Julius is like, hey, listen, man, I hate what Benjamin King has become, but you gotta, you gotta save him, player. So you go and get him and take him back to the church. So when you bring Benjamin King back, Julius gives him a choice. Get out of the life and he can live, or die, I guess. <laughs> and Benjamin is like, oh, man... All right, I'm cool with that as long as you kill Tanya. And Joyce is like, my man. And so you fight your way back to Kingdom Come's head records headquarters and like get your all the way up to the top floor with Johnny Gad and Benjamin King. You basically just like show up in like the office with Tanya is at, and she like just like pulls out a shotgun and is like, all right, let's go, man. And it's just immediately, <laughs> she just immediately gets shot by everyone, shot out of the window, falls all the way down, and dies. So, next, you end up working with Dex and Troy to take down the Los Carnales. Basically, the whole thing, this whole part serves to show that Dex is basically a man of a plan. Like, he's definitely the brains of the group. While Troy hangs around constantly questioning why they're doing things they're doing. Mm. Like, opening questioning, like, why Julius is getting into the drug dealing business and other crimes. And what exactly their structure is, they're going to go about it. And very detailed plans, like, you just kind of, like, let me know and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Can you mm-hmm. speak into this wire that I have? <laughs> That'd be cool. And like, actually, a lot of this is like, you actually hang out with Troy during this as he goes like, man, I was cool working with Julius, but now I'm not really sure what he's doing. Now he's getting it all to the crimes or whatnot. I thought he just wanted to cream, clean up the streets. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm feeling very conflicted about my actions because mm-hmm. I'm a cop. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm not, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I didn't even mean to. <laughs> so you basically go and like, Screw over to Los Canales and uh, in a bunch of different ways, and eventually takes your leadership down. If it sounds like I'm skipping over them, it's because they are basically irrelevant. Mm. There's not a whole lot to this other than Troy being conflicted about a bunch of things. Okay. So, so the last group we have to deal with is the Rollers, spelled R O L L E R Z, mm. which that's fun. Yeah. Sure. They're a biker gang, and by a biker gang, they're like to call them like like Asian theme, like Japanese themed, or anything mm-hmm. like that would be wrong because they are overwhelmingly white. They <laughs> they basically just like Japanese style motorcycles, okay, and basically getting into races. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, they're they're barely a gang. Like they barely uh, do things that are illegal. Like they right. steal cars. That's their thing. And that's about it. Okay, uh, that's kind of fun, actually, just having, because, yeah, usually when you've got, like, import bike gangs, it's all, like, Japanese or Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. or Americans, and it's, like, Yakuza-adjacent or Triad-adjacent, and this is, mm-hmm. like, no, it's, like, white Americans, they just like import bikes. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah, that's just that's just their entire thing. They're just, like, we like bikes and stealing more bikes. That's cool, right? Yeah, it's act. You know, actually, it's actually kind of refreshing that way. Yeah, yeah. So, with the with the rollers, Lynn infiltrates them by basically starting to date a man named Donnie, mm-hmm. who's basically this kind of like sad sack kind of guy who's just like, <laughs> "Oh man, a girl likes me. This is great." <laughs> and like, 
he basically helps get Lin in with uh, the other two like leaders of the group. And it's through this that Lin is basically able to leak all their plans to the Saints, and you're able to screw up all their plans. Uh, this is uh, something that's not going to work out for Lin, because eventually they're going to figure out, man, every time we come up with a plan and Lin's in the room, they find out. <laughs> mm. I wonder if it's Lin doing this. <laughs> and it turns out, yes. Yes, it is. So, Lin gets captured, you go to rescue her, and then get shot. They also shoot Lin as well, and they basically lock you in the trunk of a car. Like, Donnie sees this and, like, freaks out and runs away. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the leader of the gang, who's just, like, this guy in a suit, whose name does not matter, pushes the car into the river. So, Lynn manages to get you out of the truck, but she's too injured and ends up drowning. So, mm. she dies. You swim out. You basically chase the leader down and just murder him. And then, this causes you to go into all-out war with the Rollers alongside the other saints, eventually resulting in killing the rest of her leadership. Donnie's the only person who gets away. Mm. So... Hey, congrats! The Saints now own Stillwater. The game ends with Julius in a sports car giving you a call and saying, Hey, you did it. Great job. You're going to be my right-hand man. Oh, wait a second. The cops are coming. Looks like they're about to pull me over. I'll get back with you. So it turns out the chief of police has decided to uh, just arrest Julius. Mm -hmm. And he gives you a call and goes like, Hey, listen, I'm corrupt. <laughs> if you work for me and do the crimes for me... I won't kill Julius. But if you don't, then I will kill Julius and everyone you love. So the Saints put their head together, heads together, and Dex decides, hey, maybe we should kill Chief Monroe at the funeral of another elected official. Because basically you kill like a mayoral candidate mm -hmm. as part of uh, your missions for the chief of police. And so it's like, well, he's going to have to be there to speak. So what if we just show up and uh, kill him and the entire <laughs> funeral procession at the same time? So, uh, you do that, you murder a lot of people. Like, I feel like there were a few murder-a-funeral-procession scenarios in crime games for this era. There kind of was, yeah. Yeah, because, like, that happened in Mafia, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And it definitely happens in Grand Theft Auto. Like, that's literally, like, the first third of the game ends with you murdering somebody mm -hmm. uh, post-funeral. So, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's just uh, kind of a trope, as it turns out. Turns out. Yeah. So, you kill Chief Monroe this way, and immediately after this, you get a call from the city alderman, who goes, Hey, wow! Wild stuff, huh? We should work together. I freed <laughs> Julius. We're all cool. You should meet me on my cool yacht, where we can all talk together. So you go to his yacht on the river and meet Richard Hughes, the alderman, who's actually voiced by Clancy Hughes. Hmm. Who, Clancy Hughes, by the way, is... um a character actor who was the voice actor of Lex Luthor on the Superman animated series in the uh, 90s. Fantastic I, performance. Fantastic performance. Such a great voice. So great, he basically just does this voice for this game. Uh-huh. Yep, it makes is, sense. It is hilarious, because you just start talking to Lex Luthor, and I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> super pleased by this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty much my favorite portrayal of Lex Luthor ever. Yep, same, same. So, it turns out this is all a setup. Julius is not there. Now that the Saints have murdered that funeral procession, his plan is like, I'm going to use that as an excuse to redevelop Saints Row now, displace all the residents, and uh, basically assure my rise to being mayor of the city behind my campaign prompts to take down the Third Street Saints. He's See, also like, that's, that's the perfect reason to do that voice, because that's a Lex Luthor plan. It is the most Lex Luthor plan! 
It is wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to kick everyone out of this city so I can build it bigger. Mm-hmm. Screw yep. literally everyone. Yep. Yep. It's great. It is absolutely great. It is going to be a shame that he's good. This is going to be like his only lines mm-hmm. in like the entire series. <laughs> because he tells the player, you're going to die there. But before he can leave, we see Julius on a nearby bridge as he watches the yacht explode with the playa on it. And then the credits just roll. Ah, okay. Great ending. You die. There we go. Yeah, cool. (laughs) So, yeah, um, when I was going through this story, I actually ended up, I guess, very rote. It's nothing too particularly crazy is going on there. Every cutscene is basically just window dressing for you to go and do a mission. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, there's some good, like, moments in there. Like, yeah. I like how the ending is, like, set up and whatnot. I don't like how the Alderman is just introduced at, like, the absolute last moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of cool that he's there, details his evil plan, and it makes sense. Yeah. Like, um, I like the escalation at the end where it's just, like, the Saints decide, what if we just, like, murder an entire funeral procession? Because, like, there's, like, a big tension between Dex and Gat. Like, Dex being, want to do things, like, a bit more quietly and Gat wanting to do things loudly. Mm-hmm. And, like, the end of the game is them coming together just to be like, let's just do things, quite, like, uh, very loudly. Uh-huh. And they, like, are totally on board. Like, there's, like, some, like, kind of, like, bits and pieces there that I do, I do like, but it's, it's definitely not. It's definitely like a lot of window dressing, just to, right. just so you could like play a fun crime simulator game, right? And also, once again, not very humorous, except for the stuff that you could do yourself. Mm-hmm. Unlike Saints Row Two, two <laughs> years later in two thousand and eight. Ah, uh, Alex, how do you feel about uh, the the plot of Saints Row Two? If you how would if you remember it at all? I I am struggling to remember it. I remember it's a lot more of hey, there are rival gangs. We need to go take them down, mm-hmm. and you proceed to do so in systematic function or fi- fashion. Yeah. Oh yeah. The structure of this game is basically Saints Row One. Yes. <laughs> to to a T, actually. Right. Uh, but I do recall that the main difference being you're a character now. Hmm. Yes. Yes. You are going to be heavily voiced in this game. Actually. Yes. You uh, you significantly drive the action in a way mm-hmm. that is uh, a lot more refreshing, as it turns out. Turns out, um, mm-hmm. the it turns out the whole silent protagonist thing kind of doesn't have a lot of places to go, no. and being a character with agency in the story, even if it is not like, even if that takes away from the ability to necessarily self-insert like one to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, is just more interesting from a storytelling standpoint. Mm-hmm. It totally is. It totally is. And yeah, just being able to have banter between you and your lieutenants uh, really just goes a long way to making those other lieutenants characters. Mm-hmm. Like Johnny Gat is a, much more of a character in this game, for instance, because yeah, like spoiler alert, he's going to be your right hand man in this in this entire thing. And right. it turns out. When you are able to play off of each other, it works very well. Turns out. Mm-hmm. So, this game starts at a prison hospital, as two cops find out that a prisoner of theirs has finally awakened after five years. The cops wonder why the new chief, our friend Troy from the last game, hasn't pulled the plug on him. But it seems like he's, he, for some reason, seems to like this particular prisoner. They then go down to the hospital ward that's, on the, that's at this prison, and take off the bandages to reveal the player. 
The cops then tell him to save whatever he has to save for the judge, and then walks off, leaving him completely unsecured. <laughs> like, doesn't even have handcuffs on. So it turns out another prisoner in the meantime has gotten himself stabbed, and given he has a purple beanie on, he's obviously loyal to the saints. And this man is really more of a kid, and his name is Carlos. Carlos is basically the kid who dreams of being, like, his hero. His mm -hmm. hero, in this case, being you. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a naive but a go-getter who just really, really wants to be a gangbanger, has his head in the clouds, and is absolutely destined to die in a horrible way as motivation for you. Yep. <laughs> he is that character. <laughs> it's like five death flags lined up right out the gate. Absolutely. Exactly. He's He is the one person who's going to be like, man... Being a gangbanger is much tougher than I thought, but I'm going to prove myself to you, boss. Oh, no, I'm, I, I'm dying. Have I proved myself to you? <laughs> yep. So Carlos basically tells him the saints are done for and that the only one who can and that he's the only one who can get you out of prison. And so, like, the player is like, man, all you've done is proven you can get stabbed. <laughs> but Carlos is like, what? So we're just going to sit here or just like stay in prison? go to jail for the rest of our lives. And so the 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 player's like, okay, well, what do you think we can do then? It's like, we can steal a boat and get out of here. And that's all the motivation the player needs. <laughs> so they escape surprisingly easily from what is basically Alcatraz. Like, you mm -hmm. literally beat up a doctor, and then you beat up a security guard and take his gun. And then after that, you just leave, man. Yep. No problem. So after escaping... Carlos explains that the Ultor Corporation moved in Saints Row and redeveloped it with skyscrapers and stuff, leaving only the old church behind. Uh, also, the Saints fell apart, and now there are three gangs vying for control. The Brotherhood, the Rowan, the Ronin, and the Samidi. So they part ways for now after they get to shore, and the player goes to a bar, and we find out that Johnny Gat is on trial for trying to kill Chief Troy. And also for 300 counts of murder. <laughs> and so you decide, oh no, I'm going to have to go down and rescue him. So the player goes down to the courtroom and like almost immediately we finally get like a, we get like a cutscene that's actually like kind of humorous. Mm -hmm. Like you see Johnny get on trial with the judge and he's like trying to use his last appeal to keep him from going to the electric chair. And he's and like the judge is like, do you really think you're going to get out of like 300 counts for murder? He's like, well, you know, I think it should be more like 250. I think the statutes of limitations apply to at least a few of those. <laughs> and it just is like, I, there's no statute of limitations for murder. He's like, what do you mean? There should be. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, all during the entire time, like, his lawyer is basically a Johnny Cochran ambulance uh -huh. chaser guy who, every time Johnny opens his mouth, he has to, like, basically correct the record and be like, my client didn't mean that. <laughs> like... It's not like an overly funny cutscene, but you mm -hmm. can see them trying to do jokes. Right. Which is nice. So, much like how you very easily busted out of jail, you very easily bust into this court and bust Johnny Gat out. And after a car chase that caused the where you had to lose the cops, basically you and Johnny decide that you need to lie low. Also, there's Johnny goes like, Man, it's good to see you again. About time you woke up. Also, did you do something with your hair? Mm. Which is going to be a constant joke going through there since you can recustomize your appearance and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, Johnny, from Johnny, we learned that one, Julius is missing. Benjamin King wrote an influential autobiography. Dex now looks as a security consultant for Ultor. And of course, Troy is now chief of police. Also, we learned that he's still with Aisha. 
Uh, Aisha is still pretending to be dead after all these years, even though mm. she's releasing new albums. <laughs> like they're like, oh man, we record, we uncovered more uh, recordings from Aisha that are being published. Man, mm-hmm. they contain modern day references. Mm-hmm. That's weird. It's, <laughs> I think it's literally a send up to Tupac, uh-huh. like yeah. how they'd be like, oh man, Tupac released a new album ten years after he died, mm-hmm. and people are picking it apart, being like, wait, he's talking about current events. <laughs> Is this a reference to nine eleven? It's like, no, it isn't, but whatever. So they, so like, they go like, um, Taisha's house and whatnot, and like, kind of come up with like a new plan for what they're going to do to reform the Saints. And it's like, maybe we could have like our base here at Aisha's mansion. And Aisha's like, you cannot do that at all. You need to leave. <laughs> and Johnny's like, damn it. Okay, fine. So they decide, okay, what if we go to this old mission house that's in downtown? And beat up a bunch of crackheads and take that over. And like uh, the players, like I don't think that's a good idea. Like I kind of done with like the religious motif. And then Johnny Gat's like, no, don't worry. This is like a teenage mutant ninja turtle situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, in the second movie where like the turtles just like find like an underground like hotel slash Grand Central Station that's beautiful. Because <laughs> it turns out there was a earthquake that happened in the past five years that somehow got it. A hotel put it underground <laughs> and so you could just go and hang out there instead has giant angel statue and everything it's perfect so you go and do that and now you have a hideout now you need to build a crew johnny goes to handle the grunts and you go to get the lieutenants so you immediately recruit carlos and then two others shanti and pierce Shanti is a woman who is basically a stoner chick with blonde dreadlocks who constantly smokes and is generally nonchalant about, well, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is recruited because of her extensive knowledge of drugs and also the underground crime scene. Uh, she's knowledgeable about those two because she smokes every drug in the world. <laughs> and she has dated everybody in Saints Row. Mm. Like, it's still water, I should say. Mm-hmm. So because of that, she has connections everywhere, and she's going to basically take up like the Dex role of this team. Mm-hmm. The other person is Pierce, whose life is pain. Pierce, how do you feel about Pierce? Do you remember anything about Pierce? I, I cannot remember Pierce. I don't remember anything about Pierce. That is fine, because Pierce <laughs> is barely a character in this game. <laughs> Pierce, is, Pierce is basically wanting to be Dex, while Shadi actually is Dex. Uh. He is a man who thinks he is far more capable than far more capable than he is, and with whom everyone else is happy to remind him that he is an absolute idiot who's a failure at everything. The few accomplishments he does have in this game are usually just attributed to some other gang member. <laughs> and in general, if he isn't making elaborate plans that are ignored, he's exasperated at not getting credit for anything. He's meant to be a joke, but he's just not fun in this game, and you mm. kind of end up hating him, especially with some <laughs> actions he's going to take later in the game. Uh-huh. Funnily enough, this is actually going to work out well for Saints Row the Third. Mm. Like he's going to come around in a way that's like actually really great, mm-hmm. uh, based upon this characterization in this game. So, a characterization that I think they were kind of accidental about. Yes. So, I don't think there's an actual reason, also, why you even recruit Pierce. I think you just show up and he says. Some guy stole a truck. If you beat him up, I'll join your gang. You go, <laughs> got no one else, man. You're here. <laughs> so you do that, and he joins you. So back in the hideout, Gat has a crew. Now they need a leader. 
And it's here that the player now becomes the boss <laughs> and will be referred to as the boss from here on out. Now, you're going to become the new leader of the Saints with Gat as your right-hand man. And of course, underneath you, Pierce, Carlos, and Shandy will be your lieutenants. So he immediately orders Pierce after the Ronin, Shandy after the Samidi, and Carlos after the Brotherhood. Now, one thing I do need to point out is that the boss, once again, is much more vocal in this game. Mm -hmm. So because of that, the, he actually needs to have a personality, right? Right. That personality is asshole. <laughs> yeah. He is... Your character is actually not that much fun, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. He's just... He, or, or she, I should say, mm. is just constantly angry or mean to everyone in the gang. Mm -hmm. And when they're not angry and mean at, like, say, Gat or Carlos, they're actually just being sarcastic and flippant. Like, there's not, not a whole lot of nuance to this character. Mm -hmm. You just get a general vibe of, like, vindictive ruthlessness from them. Mm -hmm. Like, man, you're just an absolute dick to, like, Shandy and Pierce, like, throughout this game in a way that's, like, almost undeserved. Uh... For uh, Pierce, it's kind of deserved. But yeah, yeah. Not Shandy. Yeah. So, you go to mess with these gangs, and I guess we should start by even describing them in the first place. Uh, so, we're going to go in order, but first, I should actually explain Ultor. So, the city is basically now run by the Ultor Corporation. Uh, this is the start of what's going to be a shared universe, where Saints Row is in the same universe as Red Faction. <laughs> This is canon. So stupid. Why? It is, it's so stupid because Red Faction takes place so far in the future. <laughs> and the Ultor in that is pretty different from the Ultor in this. Mm -hmm. The idea is that this is how old this game is how Ultor gets its start. Right. More or less. But it is, it is very, very silly. It, it also doesn't make any sense that like you you take down Ultor in this game, kind of. Kind of, sort of, yeah. But, oh, but that's whatever. They went on to do other things on Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Like, hundreds of years in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's really silly, because, like, it, this is the start of a connection of all Volition's different properties into mm -hmm. one shared universe. So, like, free space is technically part of Saints Row. Sure. Which, all right, I guess. But also, in the present day of capitalism, the idea of a company surviving for centuries is looking more and more ridiculous every year. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Given just how companies have a tendency to completely crumble for mm -hmm. usually the dumbest reasons. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite surprising. So, yeah, so they, they started out as a clothing manufacturer, and then they just branched down to everything, including <laughs> um, guns, pharmaceuticals... I uh, the illegal drug trade, basically everything. Right. Uh, so, and because of that, they became very rich and very powerful. And, like, I used to be like, man, that's so ridiculous that, like, that one company that becomes an omni-corporation. Mm -hmm. Until I have to remind myself that, okay, General Electric makes fringe and Vulcan cannons for combat aircraft. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, it, it, as it turns out... <laughs> that can it, happen. It's not ridiculous at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um it's unfortunately more realistic than you think. Yep. So, let's start with the gangs and let's start with the Samedi. So, and I keep calling this the Samedi, the the Samedi. Mm -hmm. That's kind of bad on my part. Mm. 
because the Semiti are a voodoo slash Caribbean culture inspired cult. Like it would not be accurate to call them Haitian. Mm-hmm. It would not be accurate to call them Jamaican. And I know that those are different cultures, mm-hmm. but they basically use elements from all of them in this. Right. Uh, their name is derived from Baron Semiti, a figure in Haitian culture that is usually depicted as either a skeleton, a black man with skeleton face paint, or sometimes kind of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's known for basically being a very dapper looking person, top hat, a black petticoat, that's said to be the master of the dead and the giver of life. Uh, they're led by the general, a polite yet intimidating black man in a white suit who basically uses the politeness to hide his ruthlessness while growing his drug empire on the back of a new drug called Loa Dust. He is assisted by Mr. Sunshine, a Rastafarian who uses a machete to hack his victims to death. And their main drug dealer is Veteran Child, a, D- a white man who is a DJ with dreadlocks who kind of looks like John Lennon. <laughs> so it turns out that Veteran Child and Shondi used to do drugs and sleep together, and it's through this she knows about the Semedi's drug operations. So this enrages the general after you hit their stuff like often enough that he forces Veteran Child to kidnap Shondi, an action that just basically gets him and all the Semedi leadership killed, mm-hmm. allowing the boss to take control of the lower dust trade. It seems like we went to zero to the very end of this. <laughs> that's because that's basically what happens. There, there is almost nothing to the Semedi. They're like they're just drug dealers who you shoot them all. Yeah, you basically just hang out at like the university that's at Saints Row and yeah. basically just like yeah, but shoot a bunch of vaguely like Haitian inspired gangsters. Yeah. Like, my favorite part of the Semedi is Veteran Child, who is that white stoner with dreadlocks you knew in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, like, just loves weed and also being a major part of a drug empire. Yep. Yep. But mostly yep. the weed. But mostly the weed, yeah. Like, somebody who's, like, able to, like, get a surprising amount of weed and distribute it to the point that you're like, man, if you applied yourself, you'd actually Mm -hmm. be a really good businessman. But unfortunately, he's always high, so it's just never going to happen. He also kind of ends up, like, undercutting them as an organization. Mm -hmm. Because you, like, you just sort of end up interacting with him, and he's like, so do you guys just do weed all the time? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's, it's just that guy. Yeah, no, just him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of good interaction between um, the boss and Shandi, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. in this particular section where, like, Shandi's basically just trying to prove herself to the boss and be capable of going out on missions and shooting guns with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the boss being like, no, you're just going to get your ass kicked. Something that gets proven when she gets kidnapped by a veteran child. Right. Uh, but she does eventually prove himself, prove herself in the end. So, next up is the Brotherhood. They're a gang of Pacific Islanders led by a Mallory man named Marrow, who is voiced by Michael Dorn. Hmm. Michael Dorn, another actor who has one voice. (laughs) But that voice is so good. Yep. That, why would he do anything else? So, and he's he's actually pretty good as Marrow. Their gang is simple. They like big, loud cars getting tattoos and robbing stores in a very direct way. Mm-hmm. Their gang is almost 
like like a family, much more compared to the other gangs in this game, and they tend to be more cooperative before going on the warpath. As explained by the very next scene, when the boss and Carlos go to meet Mero in some underground caverns after he calls them to discuss the deal. So they arrive, and he's alone because he's like, listen, man, I know your reputation. You know my reputation. We should just talk like men. And so he has a deal for him. They're going to split the city between their two gangs. And so the boss is like, all right, what's the split? He's like, 20-80. And the boss is like, so we're getting the 80, right? He's like, <laughs> uh, nah, you're getting the 20. So the boss is obviously not cool with this. He's like, man, I'm the leader of the Third Street Saints. And Mero's like, yeah, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so Mero basically is like, I expect you to take the deal on your hands and knees. And the boss is like, nope. So he leaves, and he recognizes one of the mechanics and follows him to the river. He's like, I can use this guy to get in on the Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. It turns out, this is Donnie from the previous game. Mm. Turns out he's still mourning Lynn, and he's like basically at the river being like, man, Lynn, I miss you. And then you show up and it's like, hey, buddy. And Donnie's like, shit, you're alive? He's like, yeah. It's like, how you doing? And the boss is like, oh yeah, doing better than the last time. When, you know, I was shot and stuffed into a trunk of a car and thrown <laughs> into the river. By the way, you're going to help me uh, figure out what's going on with the Brotherhood. So using him, you basically uh, blow up a bunch of uh, of their cars and whatnot. So after this, like, they obviously start trusting Donnie and any leads into the Brotherhood goes cold. And Carlos, who's a scientist, fails to do anything about this. And, like, the boss is, like, upset at him. But mm. eventually he's like, don't worry, I got this. We're gonna make a gangbanger out of you yet, Carlos. So the boss decides, I'm gonna steal a bunch of radioactive waste, which I'm gonna sneak into Mero's tattoo ink, which then, when he gets tattooed with, is gonna painfully disfigure his face. So, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and after this, Mero's girlfriend, Jessica, is gonna be like, I'm gonna get revenge. I'm going to kidnap Carlos. I'm going to call the boss and tell him, hey, I'm going to kill Carlos. So the boss tracks him down and finds him dragging Carlos behind a tow truck. He kills the driver, but it's too late. He is way too messed up to live. And in a scene where it's like raining and like very emotional, there's like no dialogue, just painful cries. Like the boss like just grabs his arm, points a gun at his face, shoots him. It's like the one emotional moment in this game. Mm -hmm. And when I first played this game, I did it wearing a hot dog suit. <laughs> <laughs> hot dog suit and handlebar mustache. That was my character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Undercut the entire scene. It's wonderful. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I actually should... Um, well, no, we'll finish this up. We'll talk about mm -hmm. more about the humor towards the end of this. So after this, Jessica goes to deposit some money in the bank. And she almost runs over Shondi and like doesn't recognize her as a member of the Saints, like calls her a bunch of names, and again gets on the phone and is like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, hey Mero, yeah, no, I almost just ran over a hit like some hippie chick. Yeah, she's probably still out of her mind. Anyways, about to deposit the money, and Shondi's like, I gotta make a phone call here. <laughs> and so you find out what's going on, and you drive down there, you break into the bank, you kidnap Jessica. Lock her in a car, and you put it into a destruction derby as a junked car with the truck locked. The same one Mero's competing in. Mm. So he jumps his uh, monster truck on top of the car and kills her. 
And the boss shows up, throws some keys at Mero, and tells him he should have offered more than 20%. So Mero opens this up and then cries out in, in anguish as he sees that he has killed his girlfriend. So things are bad for the Brotherhood now. And Mero goes to see the one person who can help him. Dane Vogel, the head of the Ultor Corporation. Or at least one of the executives at this point. Mm -hmm. So, we've already explained the Ultor Corporation. Dane Vogel is a man with short, spiky, blonde hair. Who's basically like, pencil thin, very formal, very businesslike. You know, kind of sarcastic and condescending to anyone below him. And at first he's like, yeah, I'm not going to help you, Mero. I'm not going to help you kill the Saints. And Meryl was like, what if I hold you up by your neck outside of a window? And he's like, I want to help you now, actually. <laughs> this sounds good to me. So, Ultor has been basically funding the police. So he puts out the call to Troy Bradshaw to release all the members of the Brotherhood the police have arrested. Now, this is enough to stop the Saints. They just kill all these guys as they get right. out of jail. Mm -hmm. And so Meryl comes back to threaten Vogel again. And Dane's like, well, I anticipated it this time, so here's my private army. <laughs> and they escort him out. <laughs> so the boss decides to go and take out the Brotherhood once and for all. He leads a full-on assault on the compound, kills everyone inside, and gets into a huge rooftop fistfight with Marrow that is just, like, comedic in its, like, length. Of, like, mm. you all, like, fall through the roof, like, get thrown through walls and stuff like that. You brain some random dude with a brick. <laughs> and eventually, like, Meryl gets away and you chase him back to, like, the stadium where the Destruction Derby was held. And you basically just kill him there. And so, that all happens. The Brotherhood is now dealt with. So, back with Pierce and the Ronin. Uh, he's, like, trying to figure out, like, complicated plans involving, like, how to hit up one of their banks. Mm -hmm. And this is where we kind of get some flavor on who they even are. The Ronin... Okay, see so you know how the last game you're like, man, the Rollers, it's refreshing that they're not yeah, just like a stereotypical yeah. Asian gang. Mm -hmm, yeah. Bad news. The Ronin <laughs> are just the Yakuza. Yep. Straight <laughs> up. Yeah. Now, there is a little bit more nuance. They are like the Yakuza mixed up with a Japanese biker gang known as the Bozuzuko. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, Bozuzuko gangs are actually very interesting. Uh yeah. They are World War II uh, vets who basically had difficulty reintegrating into society. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they started a biker gang to basically just defy the law. Uh, not unlike the American gang, the Hells Angels, oddly mm -hmm. enough. Uh, it's kind of funny how uh, that just is a culture that arose out of that same generation in two pretty different countries. Right. Now, at the height of their popularity in the 1980s, they had at least 40,000 members. Though they are basically non-existent nowadays. I think like a rally back in 2011 attracted 20 people. Oh. And the police just like kind of like casually arrested them. They're like, <laughs> like one of the older officers was like, man, yeah, back in my day, <laughs> they get real violent, get real dangerous. This is kind of nothing. Yeah, so they're kind of like a mix of there because they really love their motorcycles and whatnot, customizing mm -hmm. them in this game. So they're led by uh, Kazu Akuji. A man whose ruthless reputation is not confined to Japan alone, as Johnny Gat has heard about him in prison as being a very just ruthless guy. Mm -hmm. He's a very successful businessman who thinks his son is a complete spoiled failure. Mm. Which, speaking of, his son is Sojo Okuji, who is the leader of the American branch of the Ronin. He basically just wears like a yellow tracksuit mm -hmm. and like has spiked hair and costly has the samurai sword on his back. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's basically his whole thing is that like. 
he's completely like into hedonism and like is horrifically incompetent and spoiled. Like his dad is a hundred percent right about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very, very sad. His da- his dad doesn't love him. Mm. So Pierce has a million step plan to rob the casino. The Ronin are rubbing ro- are running, but Gat hates his plan. So he and the boss decide to just kill everyone and rob the place. Mm-hmm. It's also at this point that Gat just takes over the entire operation to take the Ronin <laughs> down, and Pierce gets completely sidelined. So they rob the casino and take the, all the money back to Aisha's house to store it. And like Aisha's like, the, the hell are you do with all this money? Like, oh, we figured we can store it here. She's like, no. <laughs> go away. Take it somewhere else. So you have to go and, like, launder the money afterwards. And so, like, you do all this, and, like, after this happens, uh, Shogo's dad, uh, Kazuo, decides to come to America to deal with the Saints himself. It also turns out that Ultor is using the Ronin to protect Ultor's interests. Something that's going to become a problem later. So the Ronin are... Uh, go after the saints, and they realize that, hey, Johnny Gat and the boss were at this house with this lady. What if we go kidnap this lady? Mm-hmm. So, Shogo sends his, uh, basically his right-hand man, a guy whose name I cannot be bothered to remember, but basically he's ultra-competent and ultra-honorable, and is like, hey, uh, as long, hey, Aisha, as long as you don't do anything and just help us get the money back, I promise I'm not going to kill you. You have my word. So when the boss and Gat like, come to the house and are about to walk into a trap, Aisha warns them and immediately gets her throat cut. So she dies. Mm-hmm. The Saints then basically kill everyone in there, and Gat gets into a sword fight. And like they seriously kill like 30 Ronin in this house before Gat mm-hmm. gets run through with a sword and has to be taken to a hospital. So after this, the boss and Pierce go to the airport to ambush Ukuji, who's just about to land. And during the drive, Pierce is just being an absolute asshole. Saying things like, if he were Gat, he would have gotten jumped and nearly killed. He would have totally killed all of them. Mm-hmm. And how he's better and whatnot. And man, you should put me back in charge. And the boss is like, you should maybe shut out, shut up about my best friends. <laughs> fuck, man. Mm-hmm. Once again, hard to overemphasize how much Pierce sucks in this game. He's, he's not great. No, and he for, is not. For having no impact on the story so far, mm-hmm. it's like... God, you're just annoying. He is absolutely annoying. So at the airport, they chase Akuji and get into a cart chase, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but fail to kill him. And then right after this mission, Pierce attempts to take Gat's job again as the boss's right-hand man and gets, like, brushed off. Afterwards, Shogu is upset that his father won't speak to him for being a screw-up, so he intentionally <laughs> sets up his incredibly competent right-hand man and leads him into an ambush with the Saints, where he dies. Akuji is disappointed in this and sad that he has to deal with Shogo now. Like, he's literally like, I'm very sad I had to speak with you now. <laughs> and Shogo's like, oh. <laughs> so, out of nowhere, Dane Vogel goes to meet with the Saints because it turns out Dane went to go be with Akuji and, and uh, Shogo. And Akuji's just like, hey, uh, why are you trying to order me around and say that, uh, you know, you need to, I need to squash things with the Saints? It sounds like you don't know who I am. And Dane's like, the Old Whore Corporation's bigger than you. <laughs> so, uh, you guys suck. See you later. So he walks down into, like, the Saints headquarters and it's like, hey, I broke a ties with them. I want them dead. I'm gonna give you information about their hideout where all their lieutenants are. And just to make it seem like I'm, you know, as trustworthy as possible, I'm gonna stay here. And if I'm wrong, you can just kill me. So, 
You go do that, turns out he's telling the truth, you kill all the lieutenants. So, back at Aisha's funeral, Shogo shows up to get angry at Gat. And Gat's like, buddy, not today. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to kill you at Aisha's funeral anytime else. 100%. I'm down, man. Not here. Shogo's like, I don't care. I'm going to kill you now. And so Gat chases him through the cemetery, grabs him, beats the hell out of him. Like, basically, he'll punch him and then tell him to get up. Then he'll break his legs and tell him to get up. And he'll keep going until Shogo's like, okay, no more, man. And Gat's like, man, if you didn't want any more, you should have come at me. And Shogo's like, well, I didn't kill I didn't kill her. He's like, man, you ordered it. So guess what? I'm going to stuff you in this coffin now and bury you alive. Have fun with that. So that all happens. And then they track his dad down to a boat, set it on fire, and kill him as the boat explodes. And so with that, the Saints basically own Stillwater. Except, Alex, there's one gang even bigger than them still left. Mm-hmm. Ultor. So at, the di- so at a dinner celebrating the restoration of Saints Row, Ultor unveils their plans to renovate more neighborhoods of Stillwater by directing gangs under their control towards these neighborhoods, dropping the property value and allowing them to buy it up and replace them with more affluent citizens. You know, people who like to do things like jog and wear polo shirts. <laughs> Everyone is totally on board with this plan. But there's one thorn in their side, one gang they can't control, and that's the Third Street Saints. So they decide now is the time to immediately kill the boss and the rest of the Saints, so he sets his private army after them. So the boss kills them and escapes, rescuing Pierce and Shandi, and they regroup at their hideout and learn that Ultor has a place called the Pyramid, an R&D facility underneath a mountain. And they're like, oh man, how are we going to get into the Pyramid? Shandi, have you dated anybody who works at the Pyramid? And she's like, <laughs> nope. And they're like, wow, we're actually just going to have to, like, I don't know, just break in, I guess. This is crazy. <laughs> so they go in there and immediately blow it up. So... The board of directors back at Ultor is now angry at Vogel for allowing the pyramid to get blown up. And they're like, hey, listen, you need to deal with the saints. Like, make peace with them? Or getting fired is going to be the least of your worries. And Vogel's like, no problem. I got this. I'm going to leak information to the saints about a gala that's being held on a yacht that uh, you all are going to be attending so that the boss can infiltrate it, murder everyone there, leaving me in charge of Ultor. So now Dane Vogel is the new chairman of the board of Ultor. And at a meeting in front of the Saints Row Church, he announces that he's going to go forward with his plans to re- basically revitalize all of Stillwater, which the Saints didn't immediately ambush. <laughs> Dane retreats to Ultor's tower's like, top floor, which the Boston flies a helicopter to and immediately jumps from into a window. He then grabs Dane Vogel, and while Vogel's trying to plead for his life, uh, he just gets shot in the face and just thrown out the window, where he just comedically falls to his death, hitting literally everything on the way down. <laughs> so, Pierce and Shanti show up and are like, man, we were too late for the action. That sucks. They immediately get on a helicopter. They fly away. They see Gat is just having fun shooting a bunch of police officers on a random bridge. And Pierce goes, what are we going to do now? And the boss just responds, whatever the fuck we want. And the credits roll. Except that's not the end of the game, Alex. Oh, yeah? So there's one final mission after this. So this is actually kind of neat. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have the DLC, you have to actually unlock this mission by basically listening to in-game dialogue. Like, Gat goes like, yeah, Troy's the chief of police. Maybe I should visit him down at the police station sometime. 
Mm -hmm. That is your clue to go to the police station and find three tape recordings where you can learn that Dex learned that Troy was an undercover cop, and also that Julius Little, the former leader of the Saints, was the one who planted the bomb that put the boss in a coma for five years. Mm -hmm. And like, he's like, listen, Troy, I'm not going to blow your cover, because I'm too busy getting rich at old tour and making myself more powerful. So, you know, you keep doing your thing, man. Don't worry. I got your back, even though I kind of hate you. And it's like, you like listen to all these like tape conversations. And then if you go to like Chief Bradshaw's office, you could find his phone number and give him a call. And Dex is like, oh, hey, yeah. Long time no see. Or here, I guess. You want revenge? Yeah, no problem. I'll make sure you and Julius meet up at the old Saints Row Church. So if you, before like uh, you, the DLC came out, you actually mm -hmm. had to find this in order to unlock this like final mission. If you have the DLC, it just happens. Uh. You could just do the mission whenever, which kind of mm -hmm. sucks. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of neat that you had to actually find yeah, this. Yeah, it actually makes you, like, pay attention and think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, really neat. So you go to the church, and you run to Julius. And Julius is like, wait, we were, I was supposed to meet Dex here. And then, and Boss is also like, wait, yeah, Dex was supposed to be here. And they oh. realize it got set up. Ultra <laughs> soldiers flood into the church, and they get away, and they, like, discuss what happened. And, like, the boss is like, yo, man, why do you do this? Like, I was right and die at the Saints. Like, and Julius is like, listen, man, I built the Saints to stop the violence, but that didn't happen at all. You blew up that funeral procession. You killed all those people. All you did was turn them to the Vice Kings, except they wore purple. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, listen, man, what you're doing is wrong. You need to quit. And let me tell you something. If it weren't for you, the boss, if it weren't for me, I should say, mm -hmm. you would have died on that street corner. And the boss is like, man, fuck you. Just shoots him. Mm. And then that's it. Julius is dead. And that's the end of the game. Like, I think it's a, like, I think one thing I got to say about Saints Row is like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if I like the overall stories of both games. Both games, I really like their endings. Mm. Like, they know how to, like, bring events forward and tie them up in interesting ways. Uh -huh. Like, I actually like the sort of cliffhanger ending of Saints Row 1. Like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm hmm. And there is more of a through line in Saints Row 2 that I did also just legitimately enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Like the having your boss actually be able to talk to everybody and actually have like conversations that were occasionally humorous with jokes is mm -hmm. is good. It's good. And it, uh, go ahead. it does make me wonder about, you know, the rumors that Saints Row was planned to be a trilogy, mm -hmm. but Saints Row the Third kind of clearly is divergent from what they were originally thinking of. So mm. that ending makes me wonder, like, where were they originally? If that's true, where were they planning to go with the third part? Yeah, like, are you going to still be the boss and, like, consolidating the Saints' power over the city or something like that? Right. Or are you going to play as somebody who's maybe trying to take the Saints down or what have you? Because it, it seems like almost kind of like a villain turn in a way. A little bit, because it like Julius is making a solid point there, which is the first game starts with like, oh, you're going to be ending the violence and like using the power of gangs for good. Mm -hmm. And then by the start of the second game, you're like, well, what if we just killed everybody? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what if we just killed everybody? Yeah, just like, what if murder was basically the only option half the yeah. time? Yeah, it's like the most effective one. So just keep doing it. Yeah, we are going to just lean into the get style of doing things. Yeah, it like and I get into like the drug trade and all this other stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. like yeah, it, it kind of is. It is it is kind of like a big heel turn for the boss, like just throughout this game. But 
I think because of the craziness and whatnot, how successful that was. Right. I think that's, and probably THQ being like, well, we cannot end this at a third game. Uh-huh. I think that's what's going to influence the a big change in how this game's going to go. Because the next game, <laughs> the Saints are the good guys. Yes, it, it is a stark change of tone. Mm-hmm. Like, the boss might as well have a completely different personality. Yeah, we will not be burying anyone alive in an unmarked grave in the third game. Yeah, no, we are definitely, definitely not doing that. It is a, it is both a more violent yet least le- less ruthless game yes. in many ways. Now, before I do uh, kind of end this, I do want to mention there are two DLCs in this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both relatively inconsequential. One involves you basically teaming up with a character voiced by Tara Patrick, who I think literally is just Tara Patrick. <laughs> uh, Tara Patrick being a former porn star mm-hmm. who uh, basically works at the Pyramid as a mm-hmm. researcher. Mm-hmm. And you're basically just helping take down some old horse secret projects. The other and probably more important one involves Dex. Mm-hmm. Basically, you trying to track down Dex and get your revenge on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up basically slipping out from the city. Uh, you team up with this woman named Griffin to track him down. But ultimately, he does manage to escape. This was going to be fin- finished up in an unreleased Saints Row game that was going to be called Saints Row Blood Money. Hmm. That I think was the canceled PSP game. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, regardless, it was going to be a, it was going to be a Saints Row game that ended up getting uh, canceled. Mm-hmm. And it was going to basically have you basically shooting Dex in the face. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we do know that Dex does die at some point between now and Saints Row Four for uh, really dumb reason. He shows up <laughs> as a zombie. Uh huh. Basically. Yeah. Uh, in a get out of hell. So we we know he dies eventually. So that's basically about it with that. Another thing is I do want to talk a little bit about the humor of this game, because this mm-hmm. game does actually attempt to be more humorous overall. A lot of the humor in Saints Row 1 is because of the situations you put yourself into, mm-hmm. and also just like the pedestrians talking about stuff like, oh, I have an STD and other things that are just not really that funny. Right. And like the side activities. This game, once again, through just cutscenes and just like the general actions you put yourself to, tries a lot harder. Mm-hmm. with this humor in ways that I think ultimately do fail. Yeah. So I will say that a lot of the cutscenes have like that same sort of understated humor that Saints Row does. And when it's just mm-hmm. you and your lieutenants talking, I think it actually does work all right. I think the banter is generally pretty decent. Yeah. yeah. Like you and Gat works out well. Mm-hmm. When they have any other character <laughs> involved is when it fails, like outside mm-hmm. of your lieutenants. Like, um, your char- like there's a character that you have to talk to to get the to figure out how Loa Dust is made. Mm-hmm. And like, oh man, she's like just like a brilliant chemist. And this woman is basically like a soccer mom. She's like mm-hmm. a kind of like Oh, I like to bake cookies and whatnot. You know, I kind of have like, you know, kind of like a Sarah Palin sort of accent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just really homely and whatnot. But I like to talk about, you like murder and wacky things. You know, I'm all about the drugs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I see what you're doing. You're making humor by juxtaposition, but it doesn't really work. Uh You know, oh, look, she's dating a much younger man who like has, who's like a pilot who smokes a lot of weed. Who I, I actually actually like. I actually like him a lot. He's fun. Um, 
But like, so it's like a lot of like stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. like the Johnny Cochran, like lawyer character is much like that as well, where it's like, oh man, yeah, no, like Johnny Cochran was a very funny figure during the OJ Simpson trial. Let's just try to do that. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Another is also that internet memes really started to become a thing roughly around this time. Yeah. And boy, were they attractive to people trying to write comedy without knowing how to really write comedy. Yeah, they were. And maybe like the worst instance of that being put into this game is probably Pirates versus Ninjas. Remember uh, that one? Oh boy, I do. Yeah, that really went nowhere, huh? Oh god, it really, really didn't. And oh boy. Yeah, it uh, for those who don't remember what this is, first off, boy, am I am, if, am I jealous of you? I don't want to <laughs> remember this. Uh this this is something that like literally NPR reported on this in 2006. This is how mm. stupid it got. It was basically like, oh man, who would win in a fight? Ninjas or pirates? Oh man, look at all the different things they could do. And like, you know, it'd be kind of cool, like if like, you know, somebody with nunchucks tried to fight somebody with a pirate sword. And there's like a basically a bunch of like very old YouTube videos that you could watch that are painful. They're absolutely <laughs> painful. And I can see that as of 2015, people were still doing things like Pirates vs. Ninjas, the Beto Rama, Ninja vs. Pirate, which is just a weird like flash animation. Oh god, it really was created with Flash in 2011. Oh jeez. Of course it was. That yeah. There was a <laughs> A Pirates vs. Ninjas WiiWare dodgeball game. <laughs> it was awful. The point is, is that there is a side activity in Saints Row where you go to basically cause mayhem. And as part of it, one of them is that you have to stop Pirates and Ninjas from fighting. And it is maybe... The, it is the worst thing when it shows up. <laughs> it is the most groan-worthy thing. And a lot of the humor is like that. It's like very lowbrow, like, and drugs are funny, aren't they? Look at these yeah. stars. Stoners are funny. Oh, Shadi, she sleeps with everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is really, really, really dumb. It's and rough. that's unfortunately a lot of the wacky humor in the game is this. And like, to the point where it's like, um, it's a game where it's like Saints Row 2 has the capacity to be the funniest game in the world, but only when you're doing the funny things. Mm -hmm. Like, Wearing a hot dog suit and watching your friend die is objectively funny. <laughs> um, one other thing that actually is funny that the game does does is that there is a co-op mode. Uh -huh. And in order to revive your homies, you do pour, you do pour out a 40 for them. <laughs> and that is funny. That's, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. That is also a holdover from Saints Row 1 because they knew a good joke when they saw it. Mm -hmm. Saints Row the Third just has you just picking them up and giving a bro hug, which is not nearly as good. Not not as good, no. Yeah. So yeah, that's a lot of the humor in this game. It's a lot of, you know, very wacky, like, once again, like, spraying poop on people and Pyres versus mm -hmm. Ninja and just somebody being like, let's be extreme with this as possible, but not really understanding what humor is, which is rather, rather unfortunate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's Saints Row 2, a game that I absolutely love, it's, despite it's... all that. It's really fun for all of its, like, I wouldn't even necessarily say flaws. I would say more like growing pains. Yeah, I, I think I would call that too. Yeah. Yeah, it, 
it was still trying to figure out what it's going to be because mm-hmm. they, as we mentioned last episode, Saints Row 3 is going to basically take a few core ideas that worked incredibly well in Saints Row 2 and just expand on that. Yep. With great effect. Mm-hmm. And then include actual jokes that are funny. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I, I would I would say Growing Pains is very, very accurate yeah. to this. But yeah, I think the go- the core gameplay loop and like the core crime simulator is really fun to play. Mm-hmm. And like the story, while not, you know, fascinating or revolutionary or anything, it's like, you know, it's an enjoyable crime revenge gang story mm-hmm. that especially sets up for a bunch of fun action beats and leads to doing fun cool things it totally does yeah saints row 2 is the first game where you just do cool things like Mm -hmm. infiltrating a nuclear plant so you can get nuclear waste so you can disfigure one of the gang bosses is legitimately a pretty cool mission yeah like just straight up and the game's just like full of stuff like that in a way that saints Mm -hmm. row 1 did not have and yeah they're gonna take that literally from mission one of saints row 3 and just basically make that the core like one of their core concepts of like screw it let's just do cool things during these missions. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a good idea because, like, to be honest, because we mentioned last time that Grand Theft Auto 4 basically came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think of the two of those, Saints Row 2 is probably remembered more fondly at this point. I would agree with that because a lot a lot of the missions in Saints, and not Saints Row, Grand Theft Auto 4 are a step back from San Andreas in a way that's mm-hmm. very noticeable and are very, very of... Of its genre, I would yes. say. Like, its most notable mission is a multi-part bank robbery that's actually really cool mm-hmm. and served as the basis for the best missions in Saints Row, not Saints Row, Grand Theft Auto V, the heist missions. Yes. But, like, outside of that, yeah, the, the missions, I won't say they aren't fun, but they are yeah, but they're, they're very they're much of, of their time. Yeah, they're kind of, like, predictable, I would mm-hmm. say. That in in going so grounded, Grand Theft Auto was not did not have the freedom to do like just cool fun things. Yeah, because it's like no, that's too ridiculous. And it's okay. Well, I guess we'll do another sniper mission or something. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll, we'll do that. That sounds fine. I suppose a car chase yeah. or something. Yeah. Do you do you want to try to out drive the cops again? Yeah, that sounds fun. Why not? Sure. Yeah, oh, maybe, wait. Maybe we could do it on a boat this time. Ooh, that's For, fun. Yeah, well, not too much, because, like, you know, that's that's a little crazy, but you can get on a boat for a minute. How about you get into one of the game's many uncontrollable helicopters? <laughs> the helicopter I guess I'll one, have to. The, the final mission involves you having to fly a helicopter mm-hmm. to get your revenge, and it's just basically you just doing circles <laughs> in the sky because... They wanted to make helicopters intentionally difficult to fly, so you right. didn't use them often. Mm. And so your <laughs> mission is just you juggling flying a helicopter as you try to get revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. And by good, I mean bad. Yeah. 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 It's Yeah, Saints Row 2 is a game that's not afraid to have fun, whereas, yeah, Grand Theft Auto 4 was very much af- at times afraid of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And... Yeah, once again, Saints Row the Third is going to take that ball and run with it to its logical endpoint. And we're going to be talking about that next week as we discuss Saints Row the Third, its associated DLC, and then Saints Row 4, and maybe its DLC. Depends on how long the episode is. Uh, we could probably talk about its DLC in its own separate episode, because honestly, it's substantial enough, as it turns out. 
it kind of wraps up the series in its own weird little way until it decides to stop wrapping it up when we get to mm. Agents of Mayhem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alex, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, speaking back real quickly to the point you made about when you do things in Saints Row 2, it's funny. Mm. Uh, it should be noted that as your character is customizable in Saints Row 2, um, you can make your character very overweight. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. And that makes many action scenes much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, it does. Particularly the ones that involve you, like, jumping a motorcycle off of something into the air. <laughs> yep. Yep, or like, you know, like jumping over cars and like yes. hopping over fences and all this yes. sort of stuff. You you remain incredibly athletic and physically mm-hmm. capable. You are just large. My favorite is like making your character into a stick figure and getting into the marrow fight. Mm. That one's a lot of fun because the if I remember correctly, the the character models don't know how to grab onto you at that point. <laughs> Not so, yeah, yeah. So Marrow is like air hugging you the entire time <laughs> as your weird alien character. You can the customization options in this game are amazing. They're strong. They're very strong. Mm-hmm. You could do you could do shirts and then layer stuff over it. Like mm-hmm. it's all sorts of crazy. And if you have the PC version, you can get the gentleman of the row mod and make it even crazier. <laughs> but yeah, like you could make yourself just look like the most alien-looking character around, <laughs> and then just like get into the most ridiculous situations. And yeah, it's if you go extreme one end or the other with the the body types, it makes it real great. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I'm glad that Saints Row the Third continues that. Indeed. But yeah, with that, we'll probably go ahead and leave it there. But if you want to listen to other episodes of Fallen Through Plot Holes, you should go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Plot Holes of your podcast service of choice. We're also on YouTube. Just search for Fallen Through Plot Holes and you should be able to find us. No problem. And of course, we'll also include the link in the description of this episode. Uh, we also have an email address if you want to leave really dumb comments at fallenthroughplotholes at gmail.com, which will also be in the description of this episode. Uh, you should tell us what early internet meme that you want a video game to bring back and run into the ground. You know, like, um, how about the the most epic battle in all of history? How about that one? Remember that? That was a good Flash animation. What if you di- What if you did that one? What about uh, those really awful, uh, that really awful uh, Powerpuff Girls comic that that one oh, pedophile God. did? How about <laughs> that one? Yep. All your favorite internet memes. Let's just break it back. We're dealing with the 80s and 90s like pop culture. They're going to have to do something for the 2000s. Mike, I have a confession to make. What's that? I have a confession to make. The new Scott Pilgrim show has a hamster dance reference, and I laughed at it. Oh no! It's it's actually really good. It's like subtle and character driven. It's a character driven hamster dance reference. Uh, and I, I once in high school had um had a friend who like wanted to get like a bunch of annoying people out of a classroom so that we could just <laughs> uh, all hang out. And so they just kept playing hamster dance over and over. Okay, yeah, they'll do it. The problem is, is that they didn't realize that we all hated that. Yeah, and. The other people didn't leave, and they're like, no, don't worry, they'll leave eventually. It's like, yeah, but this is terrible. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, um... I, I'm glad you laughed at it, and I'm also glad that, no, that... Oh, no, that's... Yeah, that's exactly what they're gonna mind for nostalgia, isn't it? It's gonna be mm-hmm. early internet memes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Can't wait. So, yeah. 
Tell us about that in email. I, I want to hear about it. But with that, thanks for doing this with me as always, Alex. Of course. And take care, everybody. Take care.